This episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast is brought to you by Shiny Side Up. Join us for the very special live event, Shiny Side Up Online, on the 10th of April. We have a big announcement in this episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast, and that is to let you know the talent that will be joining us for the live stream, but we'll let you know later on in the episode. Your chance to win your share of over $8,000 worth of prizes, including clothing, accessories, and vouchers as well, Shiny Side Up online. Go to shinysideup.co.nz or search for the Shiny Side Up Facebook page. Shiny Side Up online, 10th of April. It's going to be an absolute brilliant event. Shiny Side Up, of course, is brought to you by ACC, Ride Forever, NZTA, and MSAC. Thank you very much for supporting this episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast. Welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, my name is Ray Heron, great to have you along for this episode, a very special episode it is too. We've got the return of the news, brought to you by MotoNZ.com and of course OnThrottle.co.nz. Later in the episode we're also going to be talking to our old mate Todd, finding out what's happening in his world and his track riding journey, and we've got the announcement of Shiny Side Up Online, the talent that will be joining us for that epic event on the 10th of April. It's all happening in this episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast. Let's get into the news. Motorcycle sales finish strong in 2021. The numbers are in from NZTA and we know how many of each bike was sold last year. Out of 607 different motorcycles and different models sold in New Zealand last year, it's not really a surprise to see Suzuki at the top of the table with the outgoing and ever-popular, almost cult-like DR650 SE. 358 units sold and registered on the road in New Zealand in 2021. In fact, Suzuki took out the top three places with the GSX 250 in second and the GN 125 in third. Look for some changes in these placings for the year ending 2022 as the GN 125 and the DR650 did not receive an ABS upgrade and can no longer be registered on the roads in New Zealand. The top 10 places on the table were taken up by Lamb's Bikes with the Royal Enfield Himalayan KTM's 390 Duke, KTM's 390 Adventure, and the Honda CMX 500. The first larger capacity bike on the table is KTM's 890 Adventure R, coming in at 11th with 99 units sold, which is not bad considering it's only been on sale in New Zealand since April. Yamaha's super popular Lambs bike, the MT-07, has dropped considerably to 17th, while Harley-Davidson's Softail enters the table at 20th. Looking at these figures and how the numbers start with a hiss and a roar at the start of 2021 but tail off quite quickly tells a tale of lack of supply rather than lack of demand. The market is hot right now for new motorcycles and many brands are suffering purely because they can't get the bikes into the country. Either that or the factory can't make them fast enough. We'll continue to digest these figures and update the story if we see anything of note. Interestingly, Yamaha's uber-popular Tenere 700 was way down in the table, and that is an example of the shipping issues, not necessarily the popularity and demand. Moto Marini is officially coming to New Zealand. It's official, Italian brand Moto Marini is officially arriving in New Zealand in 2022. Distributing Moto Marini will be the task of established distributor Europe Imports, the same folks behind BMW Motorrad here in New Zealand, with the first Moto Marini bikes expected to arrive in around March 2022, pending global shipping. To introduce Moto Marini into the Kiwi market, Europe Imports is only bringing in the firm's new adventure model the x-cape to whet appetites with other models expected to follow the x-cape joins the growing list of middleweight adventure tours set to arrive in 2022 and is based around the 649 cc parallel twin with a claimed 59 horsepower or 44 kilowatts and 56 newton meters of peak grunt. It doesn't sound like earth-shattering specs, but Motomarini joins a growing list 
of Italian machines that are looking more at style and practicality rather than all-out performance in their mission to get the world on two wheels. With a weight of 213 kgs dry, the Motomarini X-Cape is in the same ballpark as the Lamb's Japanese 650 offerings in terms of power to weight. However, where the X-Cape really stands up is in its equipment. The suspension comes in the form of large adjustable 50mm Mazoki forks up front and a 19-inch tubeless spoked wheel to carry the steel trellis frame. Braking is of course backed by ABS which is switchable with Brembo calipers doing the hard yards to pull everything to a stop. The cockpit has the rider seated behind a 7 inch TFT dash with phone connectivity and an easily adjusted windscreen with a seat height that is below 822mm. The X-Cape will be Moto Marini's first model to join the New Zealand market, with distributor Europe Imports expecting the first examples to arrive in March, pricing yet to be announced. More photos, specs and all the information you need is up at both MotoNZ.com and OnThrottle.co.nz, that story written by Matthew Daguillet. Alright, Shiny Side Up Online, Sunday 10th of April, I've been going on about it for so long, of course the Talk Series events, 11 locations across the country cancelled due to COVID. The Bike Fest events haven't happened in two years now thanks to COVID. We're online again and we've got the lineup, the talent that will be joining us on Sunday the 10th of April. The big one, Charlie Borman is going to be giving us a special introduction. We've got live demonstrations and mechanics workshops. We've got, now here is the big talent, of course Charlie Charlie Borman, you know him from The Long Way Around or whatever that was. Sam McCafferty, he's joining us. Chaotic Blonde will be joining us. Andrew Stroud, of course, writer of that fantastic Britain V1000. Kevin Williams will be joining us. Dr. Chris Huron from Deakin University. And Jay Reeve from the Rock Radio Station, who is also uh, one of Harley Davidson's ambassadors. That is your lineup. Sam McCafferty, Chaotic Blonde, Andrew Stroud, Kevin Williams, Dr. Chris Huron, and Jay Reeve, with a special guest appearance from Charlie Borman as well. And your chance to win your share of over $8,000 worth of prizes, clothing, accessories, vouchers. It's all happening. Shiny Side Up online April 10th. Go to shinysideup.co.nz for more information or search out the Shiny Side Up Facebook page. We'd love to have you there. Uh, Shiny Side Up, of course, brought to you by Ride Forever, uh, NZTA and MSAC. Thank you very much, ACC, in there as well. We'll release this uh, lineup on MotoNZ.com as well. So if you want to uh, have a squizzit in your own time, that's that's uh, all up there at MotoNZ.com. If you're a reader of Kiwi Rider magazine, you will have seen, in addition to January 2022, there was a tribute to one Mike Ramsey. Uh, Mike was the man that started MR Motorcycles in the North Island. He was also uh, more recently behind Beta uh, here in New Zealand, Beta Motorcycles. Um, people know him from all over the show. I only recently got to know him uh, well, this, during tw- 2019, I think it was, we went to ride the 2020 Beta RR models. Um, and uh, what a gracious, gen- generous human being um i very basically knew him but uh, very sad to see he passed away uh, late last year uh mike ramsey 1957 to 2021 uh mike was also the man behind and i don't know if you'll remember um Way back at the very start of 2020, we did an episode on the Toro electric push bike. Uh, Mike was actually the uh, the kind soul that lent us that. Uh, and uh, I, I personally have been working a little bit with Mike on um, beta motorcycle social media. So uh, heart goes out to Mike's family and, of course, friends and colleagues. Um Check out Kiwi Rider magazine, kiwirider.co.nz, January 22, Volume 2. R.I.P. Mike. Time to share a ride report, and you might notice the quality difference on this section of the podcast, mainly because I am wandering around my garage, looking at my bike, looking at my gear, and talking to you at the same time. Now, when it comes to New Year's, you seem to fall into one of two camps. The all-night revelers who party right through to the clock, striking 12, and then carry on till the sun comes up, 
or like me you can't be bothered seeing in the new year you fall asleep as soon as your head hits the pillow probably before the sun's gone down and you wake up the next morning bright and early and wondering what you're going to do to fill in your day I generally fall into the second category but waking up early is not by choice as I've got a three-year-old son so when my mate Todd asked me if I wanted to go shake down the bikes for the first day of 2022, I thought, well, may as well start as you mean to continue. So meeting at Todd's inner city garage around 10am, we made plans to head out to Wellington's south coast and see how the Tenere 700 and the newly modified DR650 went on the soft sand and loose river rocks on the trail out to Red Rocks. So out to Orfeto Bay, ABS turned off, or off-road mode turned on on the T7, and we started our expedition. Previously, I've struggled out here with the deep stuff, the soft stuff, but since then I did a bit of research into techniques and body positioning and found that leaning as far back as possible to bring my mass over the rear wheel and less weight at the front was the way to go. It just lets the front wheel skip over the loose stuff and when it kind of tracks into a rut, it's, uh, it's less noticeable on the bike. We took all the preload out of the rear shock to let the rear sag a little and make the bike a little less nosy. I was keen to see how this would play out. I didn't have to wait long as there's a nasty patch of soft sand not far from the first gate. I've come unstuck here before on many bikes including the Tenere 700. Instantly though I noticed a difference. Where I was previously timid and nervous, feeling the bike squirm underneath me and track through the sand wherever it wanted to go, I now felt the confidence of a king being able to drive the bike on and even click up through the gears. We carried on and soon came to one of the major obstacles that scares off most people who venture out this far. Some call it Devil's Gate, some call it Hell's Gate. It's essentially a giant rocky outcrop where people have blasted a track through it. So you wind along the coast and then there's a sharp elevation to this particular rocky gate and then it declines and it descends out the other side. From the mostly flat gravel track along the coastline, we hit this rocky outcrop and uh, I'm not going to lie, it's quite an imposing rock step that greets you and you climb over the lip and carry on out the other side. It requires a little bit of skill, but mostly a bit of commitment to the cause. I lined up and apart from hitting the rock step at the bottom a little hard, I was up and over it, no problems. From here, the task is to carry on out as far down the coast as you dare. We came up to a bit of beach where the track, although higher, was very, very soft. So we decided to ride a little further down towards the waterline where the sand was much harder. I had been saying to Tom over the intercom, I had been saying to Todd over the intercom, the trick here is to not stop. And then of course, what did I do? Yep, I stopped. Todd laughing rode rings around me before finding a place to purchase bike in the soft sand and giving me a hand to muscle the bike around. This was about as far out as we decided to go and we started heading back tackling a few of the offshoots along the way. All in all, a pretty good way to kick off the new year. Fingers crossed plenty more opportunities to ride with good mates and have epic adventures. Did teach me one thing though, pay attention to what they do in Dakar if you want to ride in sand. I saw a clip of uh, a few Dakar races and they were full arm extension with their body mass out over the rear wheel, the front just skipping over the sand and it really does help. It was a good ride, good ride. Highly recommend if you're ever in the Wellington region and you've got an adventure, an off-road bike, tackle uh, Red Rocks and Devil's Gate, Hell's Gate, whatever you want to call it, uh, and give it a crack. Lots of fun. If you want to see the video of our first ride, it's up right now at motonz.com. Click on the news button and uh, go to the first ride of 2022. It's been a week or two, so I thought we'd better catch up with old mate Todd, Todd Hesland. G'day, Todd. What's cracking? G'day, Ray. Thinking about bikes. I'm here to talk about bikes. Always thinking about bikes, aren't you? I mean, I am, I too, am. But- <laughs> Yeah, I think that the, uh, the the listeners will understand this uh, 
this uh, predicament we have. We are a special breed of human that thinks about bikes quite a lot. Well, we've got a, a few things to talk about, but um, firstly, I mean, let's talk about uh, the last decent ride that we did, which I don't think I've talked about too seriously on the podcast. I might have mentioned it. Uh, I broke the Tenere 700. You did. We should note this was the hottest day of the year in Wellington, and that was the day we chose to go for a ride. We did choose to go in the evening, yeah. uh, which was probably the more sensible thing to do. But uh, yeah, it was it was a hot time to be out there and you falling over and bending your bloody muffler. It's kind of the only time to go, though. Like I reckon and I've learned this summer has kind of reaffirmed it for me that when it's hot and you're sitting around home and there's no wind and you're just going, Ugh, go out and make your own wind. And I don't mean, you know, let wind, but like <laughs> yeah. cut through the wind, you know? Yes. Yeah. Get on a bike. I, I think you could paraphrase that as when you live in Wellington, you make use of a good day. You don't wait around and think it's going to hang around for the next week. Like we had a beautiful day that day and we just went out. We're like, yes, riding. We will ride, ride somewhere. And um, so we did. It was a fantastic ride. Yeah. I, I, it was the first time I was in my full motocross gear on the DR650. It was the way and, to go, um, right? Like it, it was the, oh, the order so of the day. So we we, took, we went for a ride on on. Uh, was it New Year's Day or was this New Year's Day? Was this New Year's Day? No, no, this was in... Uh, this was like the 3rd of January. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because we went for a ride on New Year's Day and, and you were in full motocross gear. We went out to Red Rocks, that's right. Yep. And I thought about doing full motocross gear to get the airflow, but I didn't. And uh, you regretted so that. I did. So 3rd of January, you rocked up on the DR650 and I was like, yeah, motocross gear is the way to go. It's 32 degrees or something. Let's go. And we went to the uh, the Akatarawas, which is the, the mountain range between Upper Hutt and the Kapiti Coast. And it's kind of, well, it's been my stomping ground for quite a while from the, the days when I was riding a CRF250R. Um, but you kind of know the area a lot better than me. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been through a few times. I, I, knew, I knew a few of the roads. Um, I, I, get, I would still get lost, but I know sort of the main ones on how to get back. Um, but it was definitely the place to go, though, because as soon as we got in amongst those trees, the temperature dropped yes. and it was cool and it was it was just delightful, really. It definitely was. It definitely was. And this was the first time you've ridden your Tenere 700 with dirt bike boots, isn't it? Yeah. So I cranked out my old Fox uh, Force 5s or something like that. The ones I got for, for trail riding and motocross. I uh, haven't worn them since I sold the WR250, and I thought, ah, we'll crank them out, we'll see what happens. Um, and it was actually really nice. It was great having the um, the extra stability in the ankle, um, it, uh, as with anything, you know, like new gloves or anything. It took, took me a second to, to feel where the, um, the pegs were and feel where the levers and the brakes and everything were, but um, no, it was, it was good. It was, it was quite good. I, I think you'd have to adjust your lever, right? Your brake lever needed to be a bit adjusted because the boots are a bit chunkier than your normal former. Do you ride a former? Is that yes, right? Former adventure boots yeah. is what I usually wear when I'm when I'm going off road or doing a, doing some gravel. Um, and yeah, it was a little bit more difficult to get the toe under the brake under the gear lever. Oh, it was a gear lever, yeah. Selector, I should probably say gear lever. Yeah, it's still a gear lever. So, um, but I got around that. Like I'm used to that. When I first got the um, former boots, I had the exact same issue on the MTO seven. There wasn't quite enough room to get the toe under, but you could just use the edge of the the sole. Um, so we hit the Akatarawas, it was all good, we were belting through the bush, a uh, few river crossings, the rivers were very, very low, we got to Orange Hut, we uh, chugged some water, um, and, uh, well before we got to Orange Hut actually, we got to that slippery corner, the corner that uh, I scratched up my screen on the Tenere 700 uh, when we did it just before winter last year. Yes, that was your dreaded corner, your dreaded section of that entire forest. Your nemesis, we could say. And it's typical Ray. It's just uh, a bit more commitment needed, really. Uh, don't be so, no, not not so much, less trepidation, more give it some beans. Well, see, your strategy was to avoid the area that you had the problem last time, but you ended up going into a much, much harder area to go up. <laughs> it was, you uh... Yeah, so last time when it was a, a bit more slippery, I went up the left-hand side, a couple of goes, dropped the bike left, hit the bank and scratched up the screen. This time I come up on the corner and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably confident, but I, I, I hook right 
Um, and, and there's a couple of big rain ruts uh, when you go right, and front wheel went in a hole, back wheel went in a hole, and there was just no way I was getting out of that hole to roll back and give it another crack. So we rolled back. I gave it another crack, but too much trepidation, too much in reserve, uh, and I, I got to the point where I just couldn't put my right foot down, and I dropped the bike on its right-hand side. And if you know a Tenere 700, uh, which you do, Todd, uh, the right-hand side is the worst place to drop the bike because, of course, then I bent the muffler in, and it was rubbing on the swing arm, which I think is my number one issue with the design of the bike, really. Aside from the fuel indicator, which I have heard you moan about many, many times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a that's a sore point every day, pretty much. I just need to put a maybe a post-it note over <laughs> yeah. the, the fuel. That's an entire podcast of you um, whinging, so we we won't go there. But um, we, we managed <laughs> to fix your exhaust. Well, fix. We managed to bend your exhaust back so we could carry. Yeah, on. Yeah, you holding the bike, me yanking on the exhaust. We got it away from the swing arm. No dramas. Carried on to Orange Heart, and then we went uh, around. Was it the Hydro Road? Hydro Road and Toy Toy Road, I think it was. Oh, and Rimu Road. Road. Uh, I think it was all three or two of those three. I'm not sure. And and, and definitely out there somewhere, there was a, a brilliant little watering hole. And about this time, it's probably 25, 30 degrees. We've built up a sweat. And I was like, come on, let's go for a swim. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And we got a bit of video footage on that, which is lovely. Um, my, I, I shared that with my mother and she was like, did you jump in with your clothes on? And I'm like, but Ray jumped in with his boots on. <laughs> So uh, I was worried about you sinking to the bottom. Um, it turns out that that didn't happen. Uh, and we had a we had a swim. That was really nice. It was. I, I still, um, even I think it was the, this morning, I was, I was sitting around home going, man, that was, a, that was just such a brilliant day where you just go out, jump in the water. It was so refreshing. And yet yeah, that swimming hole, you could see the bottom, but it was a bit deeper than I expected. <laughs> it was. Deep. I jumped in and thought, "I'll be able to touch the ground here." That's why I keep my boots on. Nope. nope, you definitely did not. It was it was refreshing for sure. And then we did another. So we did two river crossings. Um, first one. Uh, well, both of them. I was. We did, okay. we did three river crossings. Sorry, there was the big one correct, before yes. the big slippery corner. Then there was the little one that we. Oh, the slightly deeper one. It's a a sharp descent into the river it's a bit deeper and it's the one i dropped the bike on last time and got water in, in my panniers so that's called norm's crossing that one norm's crossing and norm's then crossing. the last one which you belted through you ended up on the right hand side of the river it was a bit deeper than you expected and yep. i just kind of putted my way through playing with the friction point on the on the uh on the clutch um which looking back at the video it's just uh, again classic Ray. Need more power. Need more commitment. <laughs> need to just you know dive into it and and go. But um, it looks a bit. Tell, tell me here. if you if you lowered your bike, if you had a bit more confidence that you could get a a foot down either side without a huge lean angle, do you think you would be more confident? Yeah, I think I would be. I don't. I don't think it's so much the confidence at a stop because I can get both toes down, or at least one toe down, um, at a stop. But um, it's when you get to a place where at low speeds you can't get a foot down when you need to, that's when I end up dropping the bike. And so that's where I think, and I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards it, that uh, 20 mil drop with the lowered linkage will be uh, a help. Yeah, we, we noticed this when we did our ride down south and we had the Pan America when it lowered itself for you, which is quite quite kind of the bike to give you a give you an easy footing. But it, it makes a big difference with these big ADV bikes. Um, it's n it's not fair to look at what's it like to pull up at traffic lights. What matters is when you're going through a rut and you have to put your foot down because you're kind of off balance. So you need a full foot down because you have to hold up the bike. And holding up any of these bikes is fine when they are properly uh, perpendicular to the ground. But once you add lean angle, you don't need many degrees before that thing just puts all of its weight on you. And if you only have a toe on the ground, you're not holding it up. So having a lower bike will give you that confidence in those more tricky situations. Is it called trigonometry, working out the angles of a triangle? It's like when you get the bike on a lean, how much weight is on that lean and how far out can you stick your leg and still hit the ground? Does that make sense? So working out that triangle. Yeah, yeah, I think, yes, yes. I think uh, the whole weight thing starts to work into physics um, in terms of, I think it does. Maybe physics is more about moving. Someone can correct us, but um, yeah, 
there's there's a science behind this like this is why you have weight down low as much as possible weight high on a motorcycle um aside from handling and balance and everything else once you got a bit of lean angle at a stop because you have to hold the bike up it's really hard um so yeah and all those people that are sitting at home listening going don't lower your bike you'll lose your ground clearance um i've got a bloody great big outbag motor tech crash uh, a skid plate which um has saved the bike numerous times there's photos up at motonz.com if you'd like to have a look i don't think losing 20 mil of height uh as far as ground clearance is really going to cause as many issues as the the counterpoint of you know the extra being able to touch the ground does that make sense yeah i think the being able to touch the ground is outweighing the slight ground clearance i'm going to lose i i would agree with that it, it really comes down to what sort of riding you do i think ground clearance matters a lot if you are a rider that rides quite fast because you lose ground clearance quite quickly when your suspen- suspension compresses um so if you're just smashing it over rocks and through rivers and stuff then yeah, you really need that clearance because if you're going at speed and you hit something, uh, you're going to come off really quick. But knowing how we ride, when something looks a bit steep, uh, we slow down. And like, what the worst is going to happen is the bike's going to go dunk onto your onto your bash plate. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. That's why I bought the bash plate. <laughs> and then you you kind of move to the next ledge. Um, you're not necessarily going to be doing rock gardens and so forth. But I. I do believe ground clearance matters a huge amount more once you really are picking up speed. I mean, you're, and at that point, you're not even worrying about can you put your foot down because you're anticipating you're not stopping. You're going to be you're going to be flying through um, sections that are going to require the clearance. And in some p- cases, if you watch Bertie ride, um, you're relying on the fact you can get that front wheel up. So you you may not have the clearance, but you know you can make the clearance because you can get the front wheel up. Um, so yeah, that's not the writing we do. Um, so I think your set of trade-offs obviously are a bit different as it is for everyone. The only other thing I've got to think about if I do lower the bike, when I lower the bike is the kickstand, but that'll be another story. Maybe I'll get your dad over to cut and weld a new side stand or something. He'd love to cut your kickstand. Um, yeah, so that was that was one ride. Um, since then, you've had the Tiger out. We went for a strop over the Rimutakas on a nice, uh, it was a, um, reasonably overcast if i remember correctly evening just before dusk getting back to um back to town well bang on sunset actually that was quite a nice wee ride but of course at 9 p.m wasn't it yeah something like that and then we sat around yarning till about 11 o'clock but we of course we've got to stick to the tarmac for the tiger rides at the moment um because she's set up for the track still still have the track rubber on there so um it it feels a bit silly calling it track rub i mean they're not slicks but um they're road tires and they're pretty terrible i mean they're de gravel okay in comparison to a minus eo7 plus yeah their track tire so i i guess the big difference is that between our two bikes i've got a very road orientated tire like 95 five tires and you're like 50 50 so um it's well i mean you're you're you got the Pirelli on the back. So maybe it's more of like a 60, 40 on the back, but uh, yeah. So there's a bit of a, bit of a difference in the two bikes at the moment. Um, And and that will be resolved. But there's a reason for that. Yeah. You're going to get, you're going to get the tiger back on the dirt. I'm not going to let you get away without getting the tiger back on the dirt. And when your, um, when your dad comes over to ride the DR, then you're going to have to get back on the dirt. (laughs) But at the moment, uh, so late last year, listeners may remember you went off to Manfield for a bit of track training, yep, uh, a bit of a track day, and very shortly you're off. Is it Hamp- you're off to Hampton Downs or Pukekohe? Pukekohe, yeah. Pukekohe. So for two days. Um, California Superbike School. Correct. I'm doing my level one and level two training of California Superbike School. Uh, easiest way to find out about that is just check up YouTube, and you'll find a whole bunch of other people doing videos on it. Um, so yeah, it's a some it's been on my bucket list for a while, for a long time. Supposed to do it last year, but with all the disruptions that we're all very familiar with, um, it's been pushed forward until this week. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm fe- feeling pretty excited. Uh, rain is forecast around that time. Now, yesterday I told you that it might be raining both days, and I checked the weather today, and it says it may only be raining one day. So by the rate that okay, this is well, changing, that's, that's better. 
Yeah, but the rain is changing. Hopefully, I'm just going to be like maybe on and off showers both days. The weather up there, up up in Auckland, is still like 27, 28 compared to what we've got down here in Wellington. So hopefully, it will at least dry if there's a bit of wetness on the track. Um, but hey, it's level one and level two. We're not we're not pushing that hard. A lot of it's about visibility, lines on track, bit of braking. Um, but it's really about the fundamentals of riding a motorcycle um, on a track. Uh, apparently a lot of the skills are very transferable to the road, um, but they are very much focused on the fundamentals on track. So, um, very much looking forward to it. I got the tiger set up and ready to rock and roll. And when I get back, I'll be able to put my 50, 50 tires back on. It even got a clean. It even got a clean. I sent you a photo of the, my clean bike. <laughs> I think every time I've cleaned my bike, I've, I've sent you a photo. Um, and that's because I don't do it that often. Um, yeah, both times. Yeah, <laughs> both times. <laughs> to be fair, I, I don't think I've actually washed it since I did the last track day on it. So um, I still have the same bugs that I hit up in Manfield. Um, but they are, they are since gone. And uh, the bike is back to its, back to its state uh, that I had it before. So, uh, very much looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of kilometers at seven hours up two days of training, seven hours back. Is it only seven? Seven. Yep. Wow. Okay. Oh, once you add in stops and extra fuel, you're looking at nine, I guess, but, um, yeah. So you're off on Thursday, is it? Wednesday. Off on Wednesday. Wednesday. Thursday and Friday is the training. Yep. So if you see a blue Tiger 800 on the uh, on the motorways, on the state highways, um, give them a wave, give them a toot, flash your lights. Uh, have you decided which route you're going to be taking to get up there and back? I was thinking I'd go SH1 because I've never done it. <laughs> I pretty much always take SH4 up because I look at it, it looks way more exciting. There's a lot, many more bendy roads. Um, but I thought, you know what, I'll you're take SH1. Wrong. But the bit you are cutting out is that whole Topor, uh Desert Road kind of area. Yeah. Uh, and I, I actually really like the Desert Road. Okay. Um, it's boring as after you've done it 15 times. But um, as far as, is it the highest, I think it's the highest state highway in the country. It's definitely the North Island. It's about, it's about a thousand metres up at the highest point. Um, and then, of course, you've got the three sisters. You've got so you want you get you go to Wairu, um, then you've got straight, uh, a bit of a sharp elevation, straight and flat. You get into a few twisties, and then you've got these these uh, three bits where you kind of wind down into a deep gully, mm-hmm. and it's a very sharp corner. And then you wind your way back up the other side, and then you go across the top of the hill for a little bit, and you go down again and all the way back up. Um, and generally, there there's some quite good passing opportunities before and after. So on a motorbike, you, you won't be, um, you probably won't be stuck behind anyone too slow. Um, and given that you sent a map through the other day that the the two routes you've got, State Highway Four or State Highway One, are basically the same amount of k's, I reckon State Highway One would be quicker um, because it is more, you know, a hundred k's the whole way, maybe the odd eighty k corner. Yeah. I was joking about this with my neighbors tonight that uh, to any like foreigners looking to New Zealand to see like our state highway one has so many bends and like <laughs> tight sections in it. It's like, wh- what is with your roads? Like that's supposed to be your main highway al- along the North Island. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's main highway and just out of, all, uh, out of Wellington, it gets closed all the time. That's why they're building <laughs> transmission gully. <laughs> yes. That's on the to-do list. <laughs> Um, Maybe so one that'd be, day. That'll be this week. Yes. Um, this week, doing that, that'll be fun. And then when I get back, I am trying bucket racing for the first time up in Kaitoki. So that'll be that'll be something to talk about when I get back. You're really getting into this um, this track stuff, right? I I like it. It's fun. It's fun being on a controlled circuit where everyone goes the same direction. <laughs> and uh, actually, I, I noticed this with motocross as well. I liked motocross as as a kid because one of the things I miss um, with adventure ride, well, one of the things I miss about doing motocross was that you get the same track over and over again. So you get to improve, like you mess up a corner and you go, okay, cool. Like next time I come around, I'll fix up that corner. But if you do, when you're doing trial riding and even more adventure riding, you kind of don't see that corner until the next time you do that trip. 
and you generally don't forget how you screwed it up last time. So it's you don't get the learning opportunity that you get when you're around a motocross track or a racetrack or anything else. And I really like that. I'm just the sort of person that likes to uh, build, not not necessarily a perfectionist, but I like to build on my learning. So like I mess up a lot when I'm riding and then I like to go back and repeat that and get it better and get it better until I feel like I'm at the point where I'm happy and then I'll, I'll move on. That's a Birchie philosophy as well, isn't it? When you when you do a, a corner badly, um, stop, think about it, work out what you did wrong and do it again. Yeah, yeah. He mentioned that in both of the training sessions I did with him. Um, it, it, it's true for adventure riders. We just don't get an opportunity to see that corner again. So we don't, we have to be very intentional about getting better, about being better riders. It doesn't happen by default because if you don't get to, if you don't practice the same corner, you're, you're taking different inputs and trying to improve. And that's really hard compared to taking the same, uh, the same input. I, I, I really like the Remituckers because when we go over, like I now remember all those corners. So I, I know where I need to break harder. I know where I need to, um, wait for the apex a bit later because i don't know what's around the corner and it's just way too like i would love to open the throttle but it's way too dangerous if a car's like doing 40 around the corner you're just going to rear end them so like all of those little learnings over the same hill like we've done it so many times that i still enjoy it Mm. it's something you taught uh with ride forever as well it's uh reading the road and you never don't treat the road the Remutuckers in this case, as a racetrack because you literally don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. Where you're saying with a track, motocross, or, or you know, a, a circuit, um, you, you can go and do that track with 50 laps and get better every time because you know how the, the tarmac's going to um, react. You know where the gravel is. You know where the, the yep. pitfalls might be. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, so, bucket racing, uh, is that the weekend after your... Auckland or your Pukekoi experience? It is. Uh, once a weekend after, two days after. <laughs> so that means I'll be doing my seven hours up, the two days of training, seven hours back, and then bucket racing on the Sunday. <laughs> so yeah, I'm cool. going to be tired. I'm going to be really tired at work on Monday, but yeah, it's all right. What are you going to be? What are you going to be riding um, as far as buckets go? So I am loaning a bike from a fellow who I bought my uh, boots from. So I um, I exchange one set of race boots for another set. I bought another set from a, a local fellow here, and he said I can borrow his bike, and it is a CBR one fifty. Um, so yeah, tiny little two thousand and something um, CBR that's been stripped out. I think he says it weighs like ninety kilograms or something it's 120 i don't know it's really light so compared to like it's maybe 100 kilos or more less than the tiger um so it's been stripped down just made to race around a little go-kart track um and this is the thing about bucket racing right so it's uh small capacity bikes stripped out bikes uh because it's all about keeping that momentum up and 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 maintaining the speed around the corner more so than what I assume you, you you're doing on the big track with the Tiger, where you get out of the corner and then you open it and you use the power that the engine's got. Yeah, because it's so much tighter. There's um the the way the sorts of bikes that are appropriate are very different, and the way you ride would be very different. Um, it's just yeah, it, it's a good opportunity. The way it's being described to me is it's a good opportunity to really do the kind of uh, elbows to elbows sort of racing and get get through all the butterflies of just being around 20 bikes or 10 bikes, 15 bikes, whatever, um, all, all trying to hammer into a corner at the same time. And if you fall off, you're falling from generally a lower height at a lower speed compared to a racetrack where it's going to be a bigger height and at a higher speed. Um, so it, it you get that, all of that experience in a kind of friendly environment compared to, you know, a race weekend where it's you know, intentional. People want to like race, they want to win. Um, so it's, I mean, I've heard the, uh, some of the guys get quite competitive in the buckets, but uh, generally it's there for people to have fun and, um, you know, just make the best of it. Which brings us full circle to the first thing we talked about in this wee chat. Um, and that we're always looking at bikes. We're always talking bikes. We're always thinking bikes. And you've been sending me, countless links of bikes that are for sale 
where are we going with this? Are you <laughs> are you looking at getting a track bike? Are you looking at getting a uh, a bucket bike? What, what's the plan here? Because I'm seeing things like, you know, um, I think you sent me an R R six. No, I told you to get an R six. You were talking about getting um, a 600, 650cc bike, like an SV650 or something. Suddenly you're talking about 300s, R3s, which, you know, I endorse. I, I condone anything blue with my blue blood. Where, where are we going here? <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. the end game? I, I guess you're probably so confused with me sending you bikes all over the place. Like, here's one, here's one. And I'm sure at some point you're like, oh, I just got to get him on the podcast and publicly say what the hell he's doing because it's just <laughs> stop sending me bikes. You, you've, um, you've got a lot more patience than me because when it comes to this sort of thing, I just pull the trigger. I like that I'm getting it. Or maybe I'll look at three. I'm pretty sure you've sent me about 15 now, which I'm not against. <laughs> Keep sending them. I quite like looking at bikes, but but where, where are we going? What are we doing? So I was originally thinking, obviously, the Tiger 800 is not an ideal track weapon i mean it's 220 or 230 kilos and it's got a 21 inch front wheel it's just not the right thing to to be pushing around racetrack i found it quite good to learn on Uh, i don't know if it would be good for everyone to learn on but it's been okay for me so i was thinking about getting a dedicated track bike something that i could go out and not necessarily do this training because i always thought this training i would do on my bike but to go and do future training as well as uh, track days, um, maybe even a couple of races. We'll see. Um, So that was the original thinking. I was tempted to go towards the pro twins because the pro twins class generally SB 650. I think there's like a Kawasaki something that's also a 650. Uh, And the Aprilia RS 660 kind of actually fits in the class although it's a faster bike than the traditional players in the class. So I think a bit of Does the R7 there. fit in there as well? I don't know, actually. That's a good point. I think the R7 might be a little bit too big. Because um, it's a 655 if you get it in lambs, guys. Ooh, okay. Interesting. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm unsure if the R7... I mean, the R7 kind of would fit in the Pro Twins, I think. Um, but I don't know if that and the RS660 are kind of uh, pulling the definition a bit of what they wanted out of the Pro Twins class. Um, generally, it was everyone rode an SV650 as far as I can tell, and therefore it was really close. Um, there's a lot of rules uh, in the like New Zealand competition guide that is what you can and can't do to the bike. And it actually just really made it so that no one could spend a ton of money and uh, win all the time that really you just have to be a good rider. Everyone could spend some money, but ultimately it's not whoever has the most money wins. And I think that's really good for a class because uh, it's not nice to be in a place where you're trying to develop as a rider, but someone can just outspend you with, you know, better, some better componentry. And that means they're always going to win no matter how good you are. So I, I was tempted to go for the SV650, but then the guy that I bought my boots off, he was selling, or it still is, selling a KTM RC390, which I've never looked at. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Okay. I had a look around the bike and it's a nice bike. But then I started to look into the 300s class because that is its own class of racing. And I'm kind of tempted to go down that line. It's... I don't need to necessarily go with the 600s or the 1,000. Um, I don't feel like I'm measured by how many cc's my bike has underneath me. Um, I am happy to race any class where I have an opportunity to really push the hell out of the bike. Like, you, you know me, I like to push a bike until I fall off. That's kind of how I ride all the time. It's, I've always ridden like that. Riding you can't off a, find your limits until you find your limits, right? Exactly. Yeah. So for, if you want to find your limits and fall off on a thousand CC, you're going pretty quick. Um, or you probably shouldn't be riding the bike if you're falling off very, very slowly. Um, so that it always scared me to jumping on, jumping on the big bikes because I know how I ride. Um, I, I like when you're on a straight, I believe you should be full open throttle. Like you shouldn't be half. If you can't be full open throttle, you're probably in the wrong class. You're probably not there yet. Um, I like to be full on and then making sure when you're braking, you are braking as hard as you can. 
given that that's what you should be doing for that particular quarter. Um, you know, if you're coming off a straight into um, like a hairpin or something. So I, I don't like to be on an overpowered bike and riding it poorly. I would rather be on a underpowered small bike and uh, really pushing it as far as I can. The guidance though I was given was if you race in 300s class, you're probably not going to win because you're competing with a bunch of like teenagers who have no fear and they will just always win. Like they will just always carry more corner speed and like they, they just don't have that fear that us, have that us fear older guys do. Gener- generally they're also under 18, so they don't drink as much beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I might be carrying a few extra kilos of, um, of uh, sprung mass uh, on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can say that. Look at me. So that's, I'm thinking that maybe I might, I might look at something in the 300s class as a bike. They're pretty good. Like you can get something anywhere from four to $7,000 um, sort of in that range. And it seems like they're not as expensive of a class to race compared to some of the others. Um, so yeah, I'd, I would look out for potentially I might be picking up one of those soon, but you know what, maybe after doing the buckets, I might be like, you know what, I want a bucket bike. So, or maybe both. We'll see. I might just go out and get both. R15. Yes. The R15 or R15. I don't know. It feels weird to say R15, doesn't it? It's like, I think R15 feels like it's a smaller bike. It's a 1.5. So it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I run R1.5. Yeah, one point five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The extra, the extra point five definitely knocks a few CCs out of that engine. Um, yeah, so th- that's what you can ride those in a bucket. Uh, I, I believe the regulations, the buckets are also regulated. Um, they, it, it's a one fifty five CC max, and uh, that's kind of just the engine. But I believe you can pretty much do whatever you want to the chassis and suspension and you know whatever electronics if you want to throw some on. You can have two strokes. You can have four strokes stroke you can have you know whatever you want um but the engine must have been a uh, road legal engine under 150 cc 155 cc for four stroke um that's well sold in new zealand at some point in history um so they they make it such that you can't bring in like a you know a comp- competition 125 you know like uh rmz or like an rm 125 cc two stroke that would just like blow past everyone because that wouldn't be fair um so they try and keep it pretty um, pretty much the same as well, but it, it's pretty nice. You can do a whole bunch of work on the chassis as well. You can do a whole custom bike as long as you put the um, road engine in. Mm, good. Okay. Well, I see where we're going with that. Um, did I answer I your really question? Any- <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. I mean, it's been it's it's always good to talk bikes. I mean, we we did sit down over a couple of beers one night uh, earlier in the year and and say no, 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 no to anything less than 300 cc's. And we were talking 650, but it's it's interesting to see the line, you know, the curve of mm. where, you, where your head's at and what you're doing. And um, it's interesting. We'll, we'll definitely be keeping up with you and following your, your journey. Um, we'll look to catch up after you've done your, your California Superbike School and, of course, your bucket racing, because I'm pretty sure that weekend, Matt and I are off camping somewhere in the Central Plateau. Yes, you are. Uh, moto camping that is not just camping uh i heard somebody say moto camping that's very camp isn't it <laughs> yes you will be taking your bikes i don't know if is, is camping just a way to uh be riding more or are you just taking your bikes out so you can go camping like i'm not quite sure Oh, the, the idea is to go and um, do the 40 second traverse again last time matt and i did it was uh between christmas and new year last year over a year ago now 14 months or so ago um and we kind of we were guided through there by some people who who know the the area very very well and we never really got time to to spend time in the area document the trip you know enjoy it do what you and i do stop for a yarn and take some photos and and generally you know enjoy the trip so we're going to do it again um matt's birthday this year he's been given two nights away uh from his wife and kids so um, very kind of them and and he's heavily into the moto camping scene he's got himself a swag on the back of rosie the rally the 250 cc um honda rally uh and he's just had the suspension done by moto sr as well so he's he's chomping at the bit to uh to get out there and use the bike and um i 
haven't done any camping since I was a young fella. I've got some gear, but something about just loading up the bike with more weight than it realistic sh- realistically should be carrying and doing a road trip spins my wheels at the moment, especially considering uh, about a month ago I was looking at my calendar and every week or weekend between now and April was full and I was asking my employer for extra time off and now everything's been cancelled. Yes. Yeah, that is that is the current state of the world at, the, at this point or our world, I should say. Um, but hopefully this might be the last time that we go through these, these big uh, readjustments and we can have a bit more of a regular calendar coming into the second part of this year. But hey, not that I want to get political on it. Have you got yourself, you got your booster? I do. Yes. Friday, actually. Like we got it last Friday. Couldn't quite sleep on my left arm that night, but I'm back to good. Good. I, 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 of all three shots, I had no, um, no symptoms. Like uh, some people sort of have felt a little unwell after, but I felt great. So interesting you say that going on a tangent i i haven't had any side effects or symptoms from any of the shots haven't got my booster yet gonna get that this week uh probably tuesday as i'm working in wellington city but yeah uh slight tender arm but nothing no no side effects so um yeah well I, my my plan i think we we may have mentioned previously or hmm, we might have mentioned on the podcast before christmas my plan was to go over to australia in january and that obviously got cancelled um, but we will be going to Australia probably March. Um, so yeah, I'm basically jumping into COVID fire. <laughs> so I feel I feel good getting my booster now and uh, getting getting to my my the best immunity I can possibly have before uh, I got to jump in and dodge all the bullets, the the corona bullets. But you know, got that's the best I can do. And then if I get sick, I get sick. But you know. If there's any consolation, they say that if you've got your double jabs and your booster and you get this Omicron, then it's um, a little more mild for you. So uh, I wish you well. Um, Thank you. Travel safe, ride safe, and uh, I look forward to the updates while you're up there. We'll catch up for a yarn on the podcast at some stage in the next couple of weeks when we both finally get our feet back on the ground, I guess. Sounds good to me. Well, there you have it. Big episode this week, team. A long one, and we've got a few long ones on the way. Of course, Todd's off to do his track stuff. Uh, We're going to catch up with him and find out how it went in a few weeks' time. Uh, Me and Matt are off with a few others uh, doing a bit of moto camping. Uh, and we've got a few interviews we've got a new segment starting up next week which is called Real Kiwi Riders Uh, so keep your ears open for that it's all happening right here at Kiwi Rider Podcast Uh, hit that like button hit that subscribe button share this podcast with a writing buddy of yours you can email me podcast at kiwirider.co.nz or t7adventures at gmail.com check out motonz.com as the website and kiwirider.co.nz for the latest Kiwi Rider magazine till next time keep the rubber side down throttle on and we'll catch you in seven days time thank you very much for listening to kiwi rider podcast this episode was brought to you by shiny side up unfortunately covid19 put pay to the talk series and bike fest events for 2022 but all is not lost Join the Shiny Side Up team for a very special online event on the 10th of April for your chance to win some sweet prizes, hear from local and international riding gurus, and pick up some pearls of wisdom along the way. Shiny Side Up Online, April 10th, 2022. Proudly brought to you by Ride Forever, ACC, Waka Kotahi New Zealand Transport Agency, and MSAC. For more information, go to shinysideup.co.nz or search for the Shiny Side Up Facebook page.